Yeah, today we're Hebrews 11, 17 to 19. Can we have, have we got it? Yay. By faith, Abraham, when God tested him, offered Isaac as a sacrifice. He who had received the promises was about to sacrifice his one and only son, even though God had said to him, it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. Abraham reasoned that God could raise the dead, and figuratively speaking, he did receive Isaac back from death. How many of you have found this story of Abraham and God's call to sacrifice his son tricky? <laughs> I'm glad it's not just me. <laughs> I have found this story really challenging over the years, and I haven't... I haven't ever really understood it, and so I've really <laughs> kind of pushed into it this week because I thought, I can't speak about something that causes me a bit of an issue. And actually, it's been, it's been fascinating to really explore behind it because this seems to be God calling Abraham to sacrifice the son he'd waited over half a century for and through whom he promised that he would have many offspring. I mean, it, it's bizarre. And I, I think this is one of the most difficult passages in the whole Bible, certainly the, for me anyway. So let's, can we have the, the original passage from Genesis 22 up? I think it's worth reading the story, the whole account. Sometime later, God tested Abraham. He said to him, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Then God said, take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains I will tell you about. Early the next morning, Abraham got up and saddled his donkey. He took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac. When he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place God had told him about. On the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. He said to his servants, stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. We will worship and then we will come back to you. Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and placed it on his son Isaac. And he himself carried the fire and the knife. As the two of them went on together, Isaac spoke up and said to his father, Abraham, Father, yes, my son, Abraham replied. The fire and the wood are here, Isaac said, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them went on together. When they reached the place God had told him about, Abraham built an altar there and arranged the wood on it. He bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then he reached out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Do not lay a hand on the boy, he said. Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. Abraham looked up and there in a thicket he saw a ram caught by its horns. He went over and took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called that place, the Lord will provide. And to this day it is said, on the mountain of the Lord it will be provided. The angel of the Lord called to Abraham from heaven a second time. And said, I swear by myself, declares the Lord, that because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as the sand on the seashore. Your descendants will take possession of the cities of their enemies. And through your offspring, all nations on earth will be blessed because you have obeyed me. Then Abraham returned to his servants and they set off together for Beersheba and Abraham stayed in Beersheba. 
It's a long story, but in many ways it's uncomfortable reading, isn't it? You know? And it and I know that there are people who kind of read that and kind of think God is somehow a vindictive, bloodthirsty bully. In fact, um, how many of you heard of Richard Dawkins? He's a well-known atheist, writes a lot. And he wrote this. A modern moralist cannot help but wonder how a child could ever recover from such a psychological trauma. By the standards of modern morality, this disgraceful story is an example simultaneously of child abuse, bullying into asymmetrical power relationships, and the first recorded use of the Nuremberg defense, I was only obeying orders. How scathing is that? In other words, he's likening Abraham to the Nazis and God to Hitler. It's, it's shocking. And that is why we have to understand what's really going on. That's why we, we really need to understand this passage. And I think the problem is we can sometimes take a couple of verses, like verses 1 and 2. Let's just go to the first two verses from that passage in Genesis 22. Verses 1 and 2. Sometime later, God tested Abraham. He said to him, Abraham, here I am, he replied. God said, take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, go to the region of Moriah, sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains I will tell you about. And I think what happens is we can take like a little soundbite, a couple of verses, and then try to make sense of the whole story or the whole character of God based on what is not much more than a tweet. You know, and actually, I think in our in our modern culture, in our twenty first century culture, we do that all the time. Actually, we try to tell a story in a soundbite or a, a Facebook post or a TikTok video. It's kind of where we're at as a as a community, but it doesn't work. And this is one of those passages that you have to read in in the light of the whole text. And when I say the whole text, I mean the whole text. <laughs> I mean the whole of scripture. Because these words were written into a radically different context to us several thousand years ago. That's the first thing. And so we, we need to work at our understanding of it. We really do. We have to actually apply our thinking, our rationale and our hearts and seek God in it. We can't read it through a 21st century lens, actually, a passage like this. It doesn't mean there's something wrong with the text. What it means is we have to be properly committed to seeking God in it, you know. And for, for a relationship to grow and to go deep, it requires commitment and patience and sometimes effort. Yeah, that's true, isn't it? And getting to know God through his word requires commitment and patience and sometimes effort. It's not easy always there are sometimes difficult passages and for for those of us in 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 our culture in the 21st century culture with facebook posts and tweets and all that we're not used to pushing in sometimes we're used to just kind of seeing something very quick and immediately kind of jumping to conclusions and if we discard passages like this simply because they're difficult we're actually robbing ourselves of growing intimacy and a deepening relationship with the lord we really do need to try and try and understand by seeking god and what he's saying through it 
working through these passages with him. And actually, when we do that, we discover extraordinary riches in Scripture. And actually, my, my prayer is that my, my love for God and for his word will grow because I think it's very easy to be tempted to be lazy with Scripture. Read it and think, I don't understand that. I'll move on to the next thing. Or, well, I don't agree with that. It's easy to say, I don't agree with that. It can't, can't be right. Whereas Scripture's always true. <laughs> and so if we don't agree with it, we need, it's us that we need to challenge. We need to challenge ourselves. We need to challenge our thinking. And so if we come back to the specifics, let's come back to verse 2 of chapter 22. And one of the things that I learned this week is that when God says to Abraham, take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, the language that is used there is actually really tender. We read it in English as a command. Take your son and sacrifice him. Whereas God is actually saying, take your son whom you love. And we lose the sense of that. It's a tender plea. And also, it's the first time that word for love appears in Scripture, which I think is quite interesting. And even the fact that God speaks to Abraham using the name he's given to him, which means father of many, is a reminder of his promise right there. And so that's the first thing I learned this week, reading those two verses. There's more to it than what we see just written in black and white on the page. And so when we take this passage in the context of the whole Bible, we can know for certain that God's character is to condemn and not to condone child sacrifice. We cannot take bits of scripture that are difficult out of context of the rest of the Bible because that's not going to help us at all. And I think it's interesting that verse 1 says that God tested Abraham. And I think we need to, to understand that and why he's doing that. We need, to, we need to look at what we already have learned about Abraham. And I, I looked back, Genesis chapter 12, God tells Abraham to leave your country, your people and your father's household and go to the land I will show you. We're all familiar with the, with the story of Abraham, I assume, largely, that God called Abraham out of his homeland and sent him off on a long journey where he didn't quite know where he was going. And Abraham does uproot, and he does go. But when God says, leave your country, your people, and your father's household, and go to the land, Abraham doesn't leave his household behind. There's a bit of partial obedience there. He actually takes his nephew Lot and his household with him. When later God promises Abraham he will be the father of many, Abraham takes matters into his own hands when it doesn't happen straight away and he sleeps with Hagar. Yep, do we all know that? So right up to this point in his life, Abraham has kind of got his own plan B going on, just in case God's plan A doesn't work out. Or just in case plan A, God doesn't come through on it. And I think the story of Abraham shows us a man who, up until this point, has actually struggled to fully accept God's promises and to believe that God will come through. I hadn't really seen that until this week. And I'm like, oh, gosh. Do you remember we looked at Noah a couple of weeks back and we talked about partial obedience isn't really obedience. And, and it's challenging, isn't it? Because Abraham, we look at Abraham, we think, yeah, he does exactly what God's told him. 
are. He almost does exactly what God's told him. So that's the context into which God tests Abraham. And I've been really challenged by that this week because I'm kind of going, do I, do I believe God's promises or do I have my own backup plan just in case it doesn't work out? <laughs> Where do we put our faith? Where do you put your faith? Is all our faith in God? Or is a little bit of it in our income or our job or our identity or looks or children or home or whatever it is, what do we have that is acting as a security blanket? Because fundamentally, that's what's going on here. Abraham had a plan B in case God's plan A didn't come through. And that's a little bit shocking to me, because <laughs> I think I trust God. And then when I applied this to my own life, I could see a plan B. And I've had to lay down my plan B this week, doesn't matter what it is. <laughs> and I'm going to be obedient to God's plan A. And that's kind of uh, scary. You know, sometimes it's like you're hanging on by your fingernails. But the bottom line is that God wants us to be obedient completely to his call and to trust that his plan A, because God will come through. I don't know, I don't quite know why we think he won't, actually, sometimes. Because when I look back over my life, God has never, ever, ever let me down in 40-something years of being a Christian. So why have I still had my plan B in the background, just in case? It... We have to be prepared to be obedient without our own insurance. And that's, that's a challenge for probably not just for me, but probably for a number of us. What is God calling us to that's plan A, even where it's a little bit uncomfortable? And what is lovely about this story that we've just read in Genesis 22, this time Abraham doesn't have a plan B. This time, if you look at verse 3, early the next morning, Abraham got up, saddled his donkey. He took with him two servants and his son Isaac. He just goes. He doesn't take a sacrificial lamb with him just in case or anything like that. This time, he's confident in God. Verses 7 and 8 of, of chapter 22. Isaac spoke up and said, Father, yes, my son Abraham ride the fire and the wood are here, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? When Isaac asks Abraham where the lamb is, what does Abraham say? He says, God himself will provide the lamb. He knows this time. He really knows. This, this isn't about Abraham and his helpless little boy, which is, I think, what Richard Dawkins was assuming. It's about father and son being faithful and obedient together. We already know that Isaac is not only old enough to recognise there's no lamb around, but he's big enough and strong enough to have carried the wood for the sacrifice up the mountain. That's quite a lot of wood to burn up a sacrificial offering. Abraham's um, Isaac's not like this. I think a Isaac is actually 
a young man. And so there's not this kind of victim thing going on here that is easy to read into. It's just not there. And in fact, if you look back at verse 5, when Abraham leaves his servants, he says, stay here while I and the boy go over there. We will worship and then we will come back to you. Abraham's already speaking those words of faith. He's already making declarations of faith. We will come back to you. That's, that's really significant. He's expecting that they're both going to return. Even though he doesn't know how plan A is going to come about. This is absolutely faith at this point. And that's why that verse that we started with in Hebrews says... Abraham reasoned that God could raise the dead. Abraham's worked this through in his mind already. He's reasoned. That's, that's a really significant shift in Abraham because he's now putting all his trust in God's plan A. He's not got his own insurance going on. He knows that God will come through. There's evidence here. He knows that God will come through. Absolutely. And then when they reached the, the place for the, the sacrifice, he bound his son Isaac, laid him on the altar on top of the wood. It doesn't say anything about Isaac resisting him or screaming or being frightened. And we've already established that Isaac wasn't tiny. You know, he's strong enough to carry a great big pile of wood up the mountain. There's a suggestion, I know it doesn't explicitly say, but I think there's a willingness on Isaac's part also to be part of this faith journey. And it points to the fact that Isaac's not an unwilling victim, but a willing participant in being obedient to the Lord. This isn't, this isn't about blind faith that says, I will follow God even if he's not good. It's not irrational either. It's, scripture says Abraham reasoned, he reasoned that God is good. That's, that's where he's got to. He's reasoned that there's no safer place for him and his son to be than right in the centre of God's will. That's what Hebrews is telling us. He's come to the conclusion because of his growing relationship with the Lord that God is good all the time. We say that, don't we? God is good all the time. He always has been. He was then. He was never a bad God about to condone child sacrifice. And, and Isaac, I think, agrees with Abraham that being in the center of God's will is the only place to be. Being obedient is the only place to be. And I think that, I, I don't think the test of faith was whether or not Abraham would be willing to cause the death of his son, but whether he was fully willing to trust God for the life of his son. It's, it's just a subtle, subtle shift, but can you see? It's a different thing. It's a different thing. It's a faith strong enough not, not just to stake his own life on, but to stake the lives of those he loves on. That's the question for us. Are we willing to stake our lives on God's love? That's what plan A looks like. Willing to stake our lives on the fact that God loves us enough to always be faithful, to always come through for us when we are fully obedient to him. 
And so this is not a story about child sacrifice. And that's what I've learned this week. That's what I always thought, but it's not. It's quite the opposite, actually. It's a permanent reminder to us that being right with God is not about us providing a sacrifice for him, but God sacrificing for us. It points to the sacrifice of God's only son, Jesus, for us. It turns it right on its head. And Richard Dawkins, in inverted commas, disgraceful story of child abuse, is because he knows nothing of the character of the God of love. That's why he wrote that. When you know the character of the God of love that we learn and become intimate with through our, our study of the scriptures, if we're not lazy with them, then we know that God will always come through for us. God kept his promise to Abraham, and we know that. We have the benefit of hindsight because we know what happened. Abraham didn't know what was going to happen, but he knew enough to know that God would be faithful and that he and Isaac would return. And he became the father of many nations through his beloved son Isaac. And that's where I want to finish today, by saying that God will keep his promises to us. He absolutely will. Whatever he's calling us to, he will be faithful. And so, so I don't know, maybe this, this morning is an opportunity to say yes to God. Whatever it is, you're kind of feeling that God's calling you to. Even if it's a bit kind of uh, scary, <laughs> if God's calling, it will be okay. Because when we trust him 100% and throw our plan B out the window, God will come through for us on his plan A, whatever that is. Amen. <laughs>